This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 31. Christ did not send me to baptize people, but to preach the good news. And he sent me to preach the good news without using words of human wisdom, so that the cross of Christ would not lose its power. The teaching about the cross is foolish to those who are being lost. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written in the scriptures, I will cause the wise to lose their wisdom. I will make the wise unable to understand. Where is this wise person? Where is the educated person? Where is the skilled talker of this world? God has made the wisdom of the world foolish. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its own wisdom. So God chose to use the message that sounds foolish to save those who believe. The Jews ask for miracles, and the Greeks want wisdom, but we preach a crucified Christ. This causes the Jews to stumble and is foolishness to non-Jews. But Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those people, God is called Jews and Greeks. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than the human strength. Brothers and sisters, look at what you were when God called you. Not many of you were wise in the way the world judges wisdom. Not many of you had great influence, but many of you came from important not many of you came from important families. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose what the world thinks is unimportant and what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. God did this so that no one can brag in his presence. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. In Christ, we are put right with God and have been made holy and have been set free from sin. So as the scripture says, if people want to brag, they should brag only about the Lord. I was given the opportunity of speaking on a hymn today, and I remembered that uh, a long time ago I had been given to speak on the hymn we've just sung. And uh, when I looked up my files, it was 2009, it was January 2009. But Andrew Bathgate's not here today, so the rest of you won't remember. And if you're visiting the church today, and it's absolutely great to have you, um, Andrew is a one of our elders who remembers everything and never forgets anything that anybody said. Maybe there's a a wee moral there. I didn't decide to choose this song. I was allowed to choose this time because I still could find the presentation from all that time ago. I was really impressed with my filing. Irene would tell you that my electronic filing is a wee bit better than my uh, physical tidiness. Um, But Don't start her on that subject because it might keep you for a little while. But I wanted to speak on this subject because recently I've been so impressed and so challenged and so thinking again on the cross and its significance. But as we begin, let's just reflect on what would you think about if the word power appeared on the screen? What images would come into your mind? You might think about uh, a tsunami. Or you might think of 
a volcanic eruption where rivers of molten rock pour down to frighten people below, or the inestimable amount of energy is expended in the lightning storms that you get in the tropics. Or it might be the explosion of an atomic bomb. And we've just been reminded recently that one Russian nuclear strike could sink the whole of the UK. Yes, all these examples of power we've thought about so far are pretty destructive. Or when we think about power, you might think about world leaders. I didn't specially select this group, just found it on the web. But three of them are currently all-powerful and control nuclear arsenals to say nothing of concerns about human rights abuses and oppressions of minorities. Perhaps you might think of the power of wealth. I did, sorry, um, this isn't quite correct because Mr. Musk should currently be in top spot this week because he's currently the world's richest man. But yes, some of these individuals use their wealth to help others, such as Mr. Gates, and they support worthy causes. Perhaps power makes you think about the horrific energy bills that we're getting in these days. Or perhaps you're thinking about something else, your own powerlessness. Of course, the greatest power in our galaxy is the sun. Its existence makes possible life on our planet. Otherwise, that couldn't happen. But as this picture shows, the surface of the sun seems to be a searing mass of of flames at unimaginable temperatures. But it brings light and warmth and growth and blessing to us. But I'm going to suggest that the power I want to focus on this morning has a lot of similarities to the life-giving power of our sun. Indeed, you maybe just can see the little dot there. I'm going to suggest that the power of the cross is actually much, much greater than the power of the sun. That's quite a claim. This, the power of the cross... This line emphasizes that power that we're talking about today is not an abstract thing. It is the power of the cross. And the epistle to the, the letter to the Corinthians was written by Paul. And what does he mean by the cross? Well, of course, he means, let's consider what he means. He's, of course, referring to the literal cross in which the Roman authorities crucified Jesus. Jesus was from Nazareth, and in about A.D. 30, he was crucified by the Roman authorities who ruled Judea at that time. His name was Jesus, meaning Savior, and that's the Jewish name given to him at his birth. The word that we're saying a lot today, Christ, is the Greek word for Messiah, the equivalent of the one the Jews were expecting. Like every victim of crucifixion, Jesus died. Unusually for a crucifixion victim, he was actually given a decent burial. That normally didn't happen. But unlike anyone else in history, Jesus came back to life again. And he appeared to many of his disciples and many others who who just weren't expecting this. So when the New Testament talks about the message of the cross, 
It's normally referring to Christ's death and rising from the dead for people's sins. The cross or Christ's death was God's way to save people. In his brilliant book, The Cross of Christ, the famous Christian teacher John Stott writes, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? And yes, the fact that Jesus is is the Son of God and He chose to go through such pain and suffering, it, it certainly tells us of a God whom humans could never have conceived of. But the power of the cross is not just in what it shows us of God's character and his identification with our suffering. There's more than that. We really need to move to the next line of the chorus to get it. Christ became sin for us. Now in 2022, we actually need to look at this little three-letter word in a bit more detail. Here's a list of words that describe human misbehavior in our news and on our tv programs and our newspapers we're likely to see it was a crime this was an error this was evil intent this is evil these are evil actions oh this thing happened because somebody has a particular disorder or this was the result of a bad decision but the word sin is really never used in my sermon in 2009, I quoted this conclusion. We've lost, oh, it's back again, um, from a national survey. At that time, sin was described as something young people do not know or care about. And the Church of England, who commissioned the survey at the time, were shocked that young people don't know that there is a word sin and they don't care about it. I would suggest that 16 years later, that's even more true. And in fact, it's not just young people who don't know about or care about the word sin. It's everybody. However, in what is a quite bizarre turn of events, people have never more vehemently disapproved of the behavior of others. So, I've produced John's definition of the current meaning of sin. And it goes like this. Sin is something someone else has said or done that I disapprove of. And as you'll see, it's unforgivable. So, by definition, sin is what other people do. And it's sin because I disapprove of it. And it's unforgivable because there's no going back. There's no redemption and one of the most important human callings in life is to make sure that such people whom I regard as sinners are seen to suffer. Now, obviously, I don't do social media, so hopefully that's not what I do personally. But that's the situation in our world. You can be completely cancelled. You can be famous like a very famous author I think of, fated by the world, and you make a tweet that some people disagree with, and that's it. You're finished. In medieval times, there was a list of the seven deadly sins. I'm not sure who composed it, and I don't also know why there are seven. I've pre-filled pride in here, 
is because inevitably those who censure others and call out the faults of others are proud that they haven't behaved like that. I don't know about you, but I would actually have to tick the rest of the boxes too. Apparently, in the last century, the Times newspaper asked readers to respond to the question, what's wrong with the world today? The famous author G.K. Chesterton replied very briefly to say, dear sir, I am. Of course, G.K. Chesterton wasn't just a very clever man. He was an eminent Christian thinker and philosopher. But where do lust, envy, pride, gluttony, wrath, sloth, and greed come from, those seven deadly sins? Yes, they come from the mind, of course. Or as Jesus said, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And it's our mind, it's our heart, our thinking, our reasoning processes that control what we say and do, which produce sin. We are ultimately responsible for what we think and what we say and what we do. But sometimes it seems like sin is a kind of disease. It's kind of almost like a virus. It seems to be everywhere. It seems to be very difficult to deal with. The temptation to behave badly seems to be there all the time. Selfish thoughts which lead to selfish words and actions which hurt others just seem so natural. But just as we can't see or fully understand any viruses, we can't see or understand sin. Indeed, we can't take phenomenal electron micrograph photographs of it. The equipment to do that is what I did my PhD on. So these things are real, but they're so tiny we can't believe it. So the majority of people deny the existence of sin as a powerful negative influence in our lives. And the strident atheists of today say things like, sin is an imaginary disease invented to sell you an imaginary cure. I think that reminds me of the COVID deniers and conspiracy theorists who say, wasn't real, doesn't exist, won't affect me. And indeed, these people seem to be so cynical, Christians just want your money. Well, there's not a collection box here this morning, so they're wrong there. We can't see COVID, but we can see the effect it produces. We can also see sin's powerful effects. And Carl... Meninger said, sin has a willful, defiant, or disloyal quality. Someone is defied or offended or hurt. By offended there, we don't mean somebody just gets upset because you use the wrong pronoun. We really mean that this is serious effect that damages people's lives. And it's not just fellow human beings who get seriously offended and hurt. It's God our creator, because ultimately our sin is against him. And just as a pandemic pandemic affects everyone in the world, so does sin. The Bible tells us very clearly 
that everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. And God's glorious standard is perfection. It's zero percent sin. If we think about sin, the Greek word commonly used in the New Testament for it means missing the mark or falling short, just like firing an arrow at a target and no getting there. Or young people might say sin is basically when we do stuff that isn't cool with God. And when we sin, it makes us feel bad inside too. I was listening to, I saw there was a podcast by uh, Stephen Fry, somebody I'm a fan of and a very ardent atheist. And he said, we don't need a book like the Bible to tell us about sin. We know in ourselves what's right. But strangely, in that podcast, he talked about sitting at night and thinking, that wasn't very nice that I did today. So he claims that we can know sin, even somebody who as says, a militant atheist says, we can know sin because we just know it's wrong. It's just not good. We don't feel good. That's true but he doesn't seem to fit the logic together after that. Or maybe you're like Richard Dawkins, the other famous atheist, who says the Christian focus is overwhelmingly on sin, sin, and he actually uses the word in his book seven times. But wait, my focus today is not on sin. It's Christ. Our song chorus says, Christ became sin for us. Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be right with God. That Bible explains what our chorus of our song is saying. Jesus had no sin. He was perfect. He never thought or said or did anything to hurt anyone else. He alone has achieved 0% sin. But as our verse says, on the cross... His Father God made him become sin in our place so that we could become right with God. But how could that be? Is that really possible? To answer that question, we need to look, move to the next line of our chorus. Took the blame, bore the wrath. The brilliant news for our currently unfair and unjust world is that God is a just and holy judge. No one will ever get away with their sin, be it brutality, cheating, lying, stealing, or anything done to hurt others. Romans 2 tells us about God's future judgment, which no one will escape. God will repay each person according to what they have done. For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. For God does not show favoritism. On judgment day, there will be no acquittal of the guilty and no justice, no injustice for the innocent. But that's really the most dreadful news ever. You maybe can't see this cartoon statement. It's purporting to indicate entry to heaven. And one man says to another, they don't check our internet history, do they? But 
it's even worse than that. Oops. Because the Bible says that nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. To Him we must explain the way we have lived. Scary stuff. But let me try to use some graphics many of you have seen before to try and help explain about God's judgment. So first as a judge who you might consider represents God. And then there's me or you. And then there's the law, say the Ten Commandments. And then there's the fact that everyone, including me, has sinned, has broken these commandments and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So the judge has to pass sentence, and there's only one sentence he can pass, and that is guilty as charged. And being found guilty, I just have to wait sentence, await sentencing. But what if there was a way I could be forgiven? I could be made right with God. But how could a just judge do that? This could only happen if someone else took my place and paid the penalty, which is what the line of our chorus says Jesus did. And the outcome of that is the next line of our chorus. We stand forgiven at the cross. If I now admit that God's view of my sin is correct, and by faith place my trust in Jesus, who died on the cross for my sin and in my place, then God is willing to declare me not guilty. But it's even more incredible than that. God also chooses to declare me justified. Yes, I know it's an old-fashioned legal word, but just think about it as saying, God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. And going further, God actually declares me to be righteous. How can he regard me as righteous, that is, make me right with himself? Well, that's because if I place my faith in Jesus as my Savior, God places me in Christ, in Jesus, his perfect Holy Son who died for me. In Christ. We have been put right with God and have been made holy and have been set free from sin. Yes, God doesn't just forgive us. He makes us holy and sets us free from the power of sin. Never underestimate how powerful sin is. Yes, as the final line of our chorus says, we stand forgiven at the cross. We get a new start with a genuinely clean sheet. We also become a member of God's family, one of his children, so we can now pray to him as our father. But as our Bible passage reminded us, and as we know from personal experience, the teaching about the cross is foolishness to most people today, just as it has always been. Our passage describes them as those who are being lost. It's people who've decided that there's no such thing as sin. And that anyway, they're not sinners. It's just other people. And don't need to be, they don't need to be forgiven for anything. But for those of us aware of our guilt 
and willing to face the obvious facts about the world around us, and it's obvious what's happening, it is the power of God. As the heading of our Bible passage says, not only is Christ and his death on the cross God's amazing power, it's also God's wisdom. In verse 20 of our passage, we read, Where is the wise person? Where is the educated person? Where is the skilled talker of this world? Well, I wasn't sure what to use as an illustration for this, so I thought I'd go for some powerful people who claim to be wise and certainly are skilled talkers. So we have on the top left the G7 leaders who met in Germany this year to address the huge issues facing the West. And the bottom left, we have those currently campaigning to lead the UK, each arguing that they have the answers to our country's massive problems. Our First Minister, who comes from Ayrshire, so knows she's always right about everything. And the world's richest man, Mr. Elon Musk, who's never short of original ideas. But our passage goes on to say, God has made the wisdom of the world foolish. Please note it's the wisdom of the world that God is calling foolish. The fact that I smiled as I commented in the previous slide is not a comment on the individuals. The Bible makes it clear that Christians are to pray for governments and those in authority. They do an important and very difficult job and let's pray for them. But in a democratic society, we need to fearlessly proclaim that ultimately only the cross of Christ has the power to deal effectively with the problems that we have created and are doing particularly well at creating at the moment. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom. So God chose to use the message that sounds foolish to save those who believe. That reminds us, if we need reminding, that God and his incredible forgiveness and many other blessings cannot be found through human wisdom and human reasoning. And that's great news for me and you. Of course, human wisdom can do amazing things. And no doubt, like me this week, you've been amazed and intrigued by the newly released images of our far-flung universe produced by the James Webb Space Telescope. Sadly, however, back on Earth, there are other illustrations of human wisdom and power which are just spreading death and destruction, and not just in Ukraine. Can I encourage you to read the later verses from today's Bible passage when you go home? They speak of a crucified Christ who is the power and wisdom of God and remind us that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. But John, didn't you promise that you would explain how the power of the cross is greater than the vast power of our Son? Yes, I did. So let's do that. Our sun is incredible. It's needed for life, 
But as all the warnings are going around, which obviously don't apply to Scotland, normally we have to close the screen uh, to keep the sun out from the service, but we didn't have to do that today. But the sun is currently causing major issues. Our pianist Jocelyn came back, just back from France where it was 35, and in places it's 40, 50, and other places the sun can kill people. It's very powerful. It produces life, but it's ultimately also very dangerous. But the cross of Christ enables forgiveness. It makes us whole. It, get, it makes us clean. It gives us hope and a future. And through the cross of Christ, we can have eternal life. Now, I stopped there. It was late last night. But I'm sure I could end up the white script onto another few slides. There is no comparison to what between the power of the Son that God created, crucial as it is, powerful and wonderful as it is, and God's plan of salvation revealed in Christ. But the cross only has the power to do these things in our lives if we're willing to stop closing our minds to the evidence all around us. The evidence that sin is destroying our world and our society. And it's not going to get any better soon. But if we're willing to admit that God's wisdom is much greater than human wisdom and receive the forgiveness that He offers for our sins, then we can know the power and wisdom of the cross in our lives. And that's what we need. Sorry if you came to church today expecting me to expound a passage and give you lots of nice things in a sense to think about, things you could do in your life. I wanted us to look at this song because we need to realize afresh if we've already trusted in Christ the significance of what God has done on the cross and the value of the gospel message to our society. And if we're looking around, as many of us are, deeply concerned at what's happening in our world, in my life, there's never been so much chaos. And some of us are older, have lived through other times. But we are now in a desperate world situation. And it's easy to lose heart and to lose hope. Because nobody's making, to me at least, any sensible solutions. Because the problem, as G.K. Chesterton said, is not other people. It's me. It's us. It's, the world is made up of individuals and no amount of tinkering with around about that is going to change. And as Christians, we need to remember that. We need to be encouraged by it. And we need to worship the God who has given us this salvation. But we also need to encourage our friends and our neighbors. And yes, maybe our politicians and others who are, in many cases, trying to do a very good job. We need to point out that the answer is Jesus. And only when we've accepted Jesus as our Savior and allowed Him to transform our lives can we experience the benefit of the cross. And can it be personal to us? Oh, to see my name written in the wounds for through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, won through your selfless love. This the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love. What a cost. We stand 
forgiven at the cross. And that is the most amazing power and wisdom in the whole of the universe. Let's pray. Father, for those of us whom you've spoken to in the past and we've recognized our sin and our need for forgiveness and you've forgiven us through the cross, we are so grateful and we bring you our worship and our praise. And we pray that you'll forgive us when we forget and when we look to other solutions in our lives or the lives of others. But Lord, we pray for our very, very troubled world. And we pray for many of our friends and neighbors and many folks who live in this community who have no idea that sin is the problem and no idea that the cross of Christ is the solution. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for our politicians and world leaders who are trying to deal with the most horrendous wickedness. And Lord, we just ask that you'll help us to keep trusting you and that you will, in your mercy, come and touch our society. We pray for the right candidates to be selected in the UK government um, stuff that's going on at the moment. And we pray for you to intervene in the lives of some of the world's wicked dictators. But Lord, we thank you that there is going to be a day when Jesus will return and when your kingdom will be fully come to pass in this world and when there will be glory and honor and worship given to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come and do that this morning as we seek your blessing on each one of us here and anyone who will watch online later. In the name of Jesus, amen.